If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the uh, book of Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 12, and we will pick up in verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And as you know, this is a special day because we're honoring two groups of people, and they're very different groups. We have, on one hand, um, those significant women that we've had in our lives. Many of, for many of us, that's our mom. But we're also celebrating two young people who are uh, graduating high school, and they're really moving into... Uh, what many would see as an entry point into adulthood. And as I thought about and prayed about what to preach on this occasion, I considered continuing our series that we've been doing out of Luke and picking up in Luke chapter 13. And, um, and, and I thought about doing that, but the, the text there is uh, a, a time when Jesus takes an, a, a tragedy that's happened, and he uses that as an occasion to teach that unless you, all likewise, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And that's an important message to, uh, to hear, no matter what stage of life we're in. But I wanted to do something maybe that spoke more to the situation that, uh, that's at hand. And so today I want to talk about the will of God. The will of God. Now, uh, you might think of, of the will of God in different terms. You might think of it in terms of the will of God. You might think of it as the plans of God. You might uh, use the terminology of the decrees of God. Um, and and I, I think this is a timely message for us to consider because for some of us, it's Mother's Day. And so uh, you, might be, you might be, well, frankly, you might feel kind of left out on Mother's Day because for some of us, we don't have kids in the home. Maybe our kids are grown up, they're out of the house, they're doing their own thing, and we don't have kids in the home, and so we're, we're empty nesters. We're in kind of a, a different stage of life than, than uh, some of our, uh, some of our uh, companions. Uh, many of us, um, maybe we don't have kids. Frankly, we don't, we don't want any kids, or, or at least not anytime soon. Uh, maybe, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or maybe a grandparent that all of a sudden you have new responsibilities with a little one that's come into your life for, uh, for various reasons, and, and you're in this weird place. I mean, there are just so many different... Maybe you're, maybe you're considering adoption or fostering. I mean, there are so many different um, situations that, w- that, that, that we come into contact with at Mother's Day. And for our young people, but we've got two that are getting ready to graduate. We've got some that have just graduated recently. Some of us, frankly, we don't even remember graduation. I mean, that was like the Stone Age, right? I mean, it was a long time ago, and we don't hardly remember it. And, and so we're, we are way past, you know, trying to figure out careers and where we're going to live and all those things. And we're just a different place. But no matter what stage of life we're in, whether it's going into adulthood, maybe we're, we've been a, uh, a senior adult for some time, maybe we're mothers, all of us as Christians want to know what the will of God is for our lives. We want to know how to make choices. We want to know how best to live out His plans and, and to please Him because that's what we want to do as Christians. And so, so some of us, we, we have this idea of the will of God as this mysterious thing. And it's like an Easter egg hunt. And we're trying to find where it is. God's hidden it somewhere. And, and if we just find the right place, then we'll make God happy. And if we don't find it, we heap all this pressure on ourselves. And we think, if I don't find the will of God, if I don't figure out what he wants, not only is he going to be displeased with me, but he's not going to be able to work out his will in the world, and it's going to be my fault. Pressure, right? If, if I don't figure out God's will for my life, God can't do what he wants to in this world. And so I, I just want to give you a, a, uh, an encouragement up front. You're not that powerful. You're not going to mess up God's plan for the world. Okay, so if you have a pen and a pencil handy, I would encourage you to have one handy if you want to write down some text later. I'll be referring to several throughout the message. 
I kind of feel like the preacher said to his congregation, just open your Bible anywhere. We'll be buying, I'll be buying a while. Um, we're going to cover a lot of different texts. I'm not going to have you turn to all of them. But I do want you to stand if you found Romans chapter 12. If you're able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. I'll pick up in verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, before we get down into the nitty-gritty of, of the actual finding out of the will of God, how do we do that? Just some, some steps to take. Before we do that, I want you to look back at, at uh, verse 1. And I want, I want to point something out that's very important for you to see. I want you to notice that before you do anything else, when it comes to finding out God's will for your life, before you do anything else, give yourself to God. Before you do anything else, give yourself to God. Look, look again at verse 1 and what he says. He begins this this section with the word, therefore. Now, therefore is a concluding statement. If you are beginning a statement, you say, firstly, first off, to begin, something like that. You don't say, therefore, and and write whatever it is. Therefore is a concluding statement. This is what he says in in chapter 12 is built on what he said in uh, chapters 1 through 11. I'm not going to give you, we're not going to read all that. I'm not going to give you a big summary of it. But, But what he does in chapters 1 through 11 is he lays out, um, the, okay, here, here's a hint for when you read the Bible. When you read the letters of Paul, almost always, what he does is he gives the first part is doctrine. This is beliefs. This is what you should believe as a Christian. And the second part of his letters, this is how that belief should be lived out. This is how it looks when the rubber meets the road. And so he does that in Romans chapters 1 through 11. Here's the belief part. And so what he does in chapters 1 through 11 is he gives us the great gospel truth that all of us have sinned. So that's not that's not great. No, we, we have all sinned. None of us has an excuse. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's commended his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And therefore, because uh, when, when we if we will confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And therefore, when we've done that, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. And so that's the basis of chapters 1 through 11. That's a summary of it. There's all this mercy, all this grace that's shown. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, because of all this, I urge you, because of all this mercy that's been shown by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy Sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? Well, first it speaks of the totality of the sacrifice. The totality of the sacrifice. Now, when in the Jewish system, they had animal sacrifices. And when somebody would offer sacrifice to God, they'd bring the animal in, lay their hands on the, the head of the animal, if it was a, a, an offering for sin, confess their sins, symbolically transfer that sin to the animal, and it was sacrificed. It was, it was put to death in place of the one who was offering the sacrifice, all this point ahead to Christ. This, there was no coming back from it. This offering gave its life. Its whole self was given. If it was a burnt offering, it was then burned and it was completely burned up. 
And so Paul had that in mind. This, there's this, this sacrifice, but it's eventually a dead sacrifice. But he says we need to be a living sacrifice. It's not a one and done thing. This is an ongoing living sacrifice, an offering to God. But also they had the offering of things like first fruits, which would be brought in. And this stuff was not put to death, but it was set apart wholly for God and for his use. And so, so we, we have these dual ideas in what Paul says. We as Christians need to come and present ourselves as a definite act. We need to give ourselves to God, a living, our whole being, our, our, our minds, our wills, our heart, everything. It needs to be given to God, and it needs to be set apart for His use. So he says, give yourself to God first and foremost. It's not just outward actions. Sometimes we, we kind of wish that God would just want certain actions done. Well, if you just come to church, you know, two or three times a month, if you uh, give X amount of dollars a, a week, if you do whatever it is, we would be happy with that. He doesn't just want the outward actions. He wants our whole selves, our mind, our body, our emotions, everything. It should be set apart for the Lord. Now, why am I spending so much time on this, on this point? Because God is more concerned with a relationship with us than having a roadmap for us. See, the will of God is not just about, okay, you're at point A, I want you to get to point G, and here's how I want you to get there. The will of God is how we live and interact with God. It's, it's pleasing God. It's doing what He wants on a daily basis. And so He is more concerned with a relationship with us than a roadmap pointing us from point A to point B. And the, the first part of that is giving ourselves to God as an offering. Now, the will of God, in, in other words, it's wrapped up in a relationship with Him. It's not just a checklist. It's not just, okay, you've done this, check, check, check. When I was growing up, we had, we had envelopes in Sunday school. And it was, it was an offering envelope. But on that envelope, it didn't just have, this is how much is in there. It would have, read the Bible daily. It would have... I don't even remember all the stuff it had, but you know, I'll just say pray, read the Bible, all, all these different right actions. And we think sometimes of the will of God, of our relationship with Him, as that check off the little box. But God is not as concerned with check off the box as He is in that daily fellowship with Him uh, as He moves us through life. Now, the first step in finding out the will of God is to be given to Him, but the second step, if you'll notice verse 2, is to be transformed and not conformed. Look at what it says. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect, good and acceptable and perfect. Now Paul gives a negative and then a positive command. On the negative side, he says, Don't be conformed to this world. The idea of this word conformed is like if you take modeling clay and you shove it into a mold, and you push it in, and, and you, you put the pressure on, and, and you shove it in, eventually, when you take it out of that mold, it's going to look like the mold. It's going to take on the shape. It's going to look like it's going to take on the form of the mold that you put it into. And this word conformed, is, it has that idea of don't let the world push you like that. Don't, make the world look, don't, don't allow the world to make you look like, think like, act like, have the same mindset as it. Now, what is the world? Well, the world is is that unbelieving mass of humanity. It's, it's, it's the world system that's opposed to God, that doesn't know God. And like I said, it's, it's a totally different mindset. It's different actions. It's different attitudes. And the world all around us is trying to squeeze us into that mold. Did you realize that if you watch stuff on TV, 
and you watch popular sitcoms, they're not going to draw you closer to God. Did you realize that? The things that you see on TV, the things that you see on the movie screen, the things that you hear on the radio, most of that stuff is not going to... If you, if you allow that to influence you, that's not drawing you closer to God. Now, I'm not saying you have to throw the TV out and break it and all this stuff. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we need to recognize that the world is constantly, whether it be through the media that we see and hear, whether it be through our coworkers, have any unbelieving coworkers, and I mean you're around them, and they're saying all kinds of stuff. They're talking about all the stuff they're doing on the weekends. They're doing all these things. And, and all that is, is a, sometimes just a subtle pressure to be conformed to this world. And Paul says, don't allow that to happen. Instead, you need to be transformed. And the word that's translated as transformed, we're familiar with the Greek word. It comes to us in the English as metamorphosis. And if you've been in science class in, what, fourth, fifth grade, third grade, you know what metamorphosis is. It's something that changes shape from one thing to something totally different. You think about a caterpillar that goes through a metamorphosis and comes out as a butterfly. That's the idea here. Now, I'm not saying, oh, you guys should just be little butterflies. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you need to be different than you were before. When, when God saves you, he makes a change in your life from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, I want you to notice, look at verse 2 again. I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to show you something that's going to be that's a blessing to your soul. What does it say? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed is... See, I'm trying to remember all of it. It's an imperative mood. It's a passive voice. And uh, I can't remember the other thing. But it's not really a blessing when you say it like that. <laughs> Notice what he says. It's an imperative. He says, be this, do this. But it's passive in the sense that he, he doesn't say transform yourself. It's a passive thing. It's done to us. Oh, it's a present tense. Sorry. It's be being renewed, be being transformed. It's present tense, passive voice, active mood or imperative mood. And you say, that still doesn't bless me. I know. I messed it up. But what is this saying? He says that on a daily basis, it's a way of life, continually. Keep being transformed. And you don't do it to yourself. This happens to you by God. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You can't make yourself more like Christ. God does it to you. It's a passive thing, but we have, an, we have a responsibility because there's an imperative, there's a command. Jesus, Paul says, you need to have this happen. How does that happen? It's by sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, by reading the Scripture, by prayer, by fellowship. All these things God uses to transform, to renew our minds. He overhauls it. Have you ever noticed that whenever you read the scriptures, that you think differently than when all you do is in just social media? That, that when you memorize scripture and you focus, have, have you ever taken a, just a verse? You said, this week I'm going to memorize this verse. And you memorize that verse. Have you, have you noticed how often that verse will come to mind? 
God uses that to transform us. And Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, this overhauling that God does, so that, it's a necessary prerequisite, so that we can know the will of God. Now, we've laid some groundwork. To know the will of God, first, you need to have given yourself to God. Second, you need to be transformed, not conformed. So how do we know the will of God in our life? So here, here are some steps. Here are some things you can write down that when you're facing a decision, these are things that you should do to figure out God's will for your life. The first is you need to figure out what you mean by the will of God. You say, well, I want to know what God's will is. What does that mean? I, I don't know. We, we, we don't really have a good definition. The Bible talks about the, the will of God in different ways. So, for instance, there's the, His sovereign will. You, you may have heard that called the will of decree or something similar. It's, it, it's when God has said, I'm going to have this happen, and there's no discussion, there's no violation of my, of my will. This will happen. A verse for this is Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all the deeps. There's no argument. Man can't violate it. He can't stop it. He can't slow it down. God says this is going to happen, and it happens. Okay, so He does this both directly, like He willed that there be light. Photons didn't have a committee meeting. Photons appeared, and they were light, because God willed it to happen. Other times, He uses means. So God... God was not playing catch-up in the Garden of Eden. He said, from the beginning, my plan for salvation is for people to put their faith in Christ and His sacrificial death on the cross. That was His plan from the beginning, but yet He used means for that to happen. And so He used wicked people freely acting on their their hate-filled, selfish desires for Christ to be handed over and crucified. And so therefore, the the early church in Acts chapter 2, they said this in Acts 2.23, This man, speaking of Jesus delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now, when it comes to doing God's sovereign will, you don't have to stress about that because God's going to do it. You're not going to mess it up. You can't miss the boat and ruin his plans. Another aspect of his will is the moral will. And we see this mainly in the law of God. And so the moral will are, are those things that he says, do this and don't do that. He says he, he, he commands certain things and he forbids certain things. So God says, for instance, do not murder. Can I tell you, you don't have to pray about that one. You have that guy at work and you really hate him. Well, you don't hate him. You're grieved in spirit when you're around him. And, but you don't hate him. You don't have to say, I'm, I'm going to bring this up at church. I wonder if it's God's will for me to strangle that guy. I sure would like to do that. Just... <clears throat> You don't, have to, you don't have to pray about that. Why? Because God said do not murder. He said do not covet. He said don't commit adultery. He said honor your father and mother. You know, especially young people, you don't have to pray, I wonder if God would like me to smart off to mom and dad. <laughs> Boy, I hope so. You know what? He doesn't, that, that's not his will. Whereas God's sovereign will is never broken, is never violated... His moral or preceptive will is broken all the time. Because sometimes people do smart off to mom and dad. Sometimes people do murder. Sometimes people do covet or commit adultery or, or, or steal or, or whatever it is. And that's called sin. And we've all done it. Now again, knowing God's pre- prescriptive or his moral will is not rocket science. Because if you can read words on a paper, you know what it is. 
you, you don't have to figure out if, if God wants you to, to, uh, to, to commit adultery, for instance. It's in the Bible. So there are some actions, again, you don't have to pray about. You say, well, I really like this guy. I really like this girl. I wonder if I should marry him, or I wonder if I should marry her. Well, let's, let's run through that, that grid. Is that person a believer? No. Don't marry him. No discussion, no question. It's not, it's not that God's going to bend the rules for you and say, this is my will for everybody except for you. You're my special one. No. If, if that person's not a believer, and you are, don't marry him. I'd say don't even date him. You don't have to pray about that. You say, well, you know, I really like this person, and, and uh, maybe, maybe it would be all right to have some sort of sexual relation outside the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. No, it's not. You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to seek God's will for that. Because 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That is, here he defines it, that you abstain from sexual immorality. No prayer needed. You say, oh, but I'm so stressed out. On, oh, but I don't know the will of God. Yeah, you do. Open your eyeballs. Read. So we have his sovereign will. We have his moral will. And one last will that I want to mention that the Bible talks about is his hidden will. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. There are some things that God will not tell you. That's why I always scratch my head at these people who predict Jesus' return. And they get a big following. Harold Camping was the last one that I can recall. Oh, God's not telling anybody except for old Harold. No. Certain things are hidden. They're own only to God. And, and so some things in our life, we've had stuff happen in our, you, you've had stuff happen that you don't understand. And you can't make sense of it. Why did this happen? I don't understand. And, and we look at that and we, 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 some things we don't understand and we never will this side of heaven. And that's part of his hidden will. He will do certain things that we don't understand and we can trust him in that because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so his thoughts are, are above our thoughts. And so his hidden will, you don't have to worry about doing it or even finding it out because if it's told to you, it ain't hidden. So here we have three different aspects, the sovereign will, the moral will, and the hidden will. Sovereign will, you don't have to stress about it. God's going to do it. No, no worries. And most of that, he doesn't tell us what he's going to do anyway because his hidden will, we, don't, we can't know it. So why stress about it? So that just leaves one other type of will, and it's the one the Bible is most concerned with, and that is his moral will. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So these commandments act like lines on a field, a playing field, and certain things are out of bounds. By default, because they are outside these lines, they are out of bounds. And God's not going to say, I want you to run a play off the field. I'm not going to have, he's, he's not going to have you run a, a, a play. He's not going to have you break one of his commands that he's given. So when you're faced with a decision, the first filter you need to run, whatever decision it is, you need to run it through the moral filter, the moral will filter. God has said, do these things, don't do these things. So when you face a decision, the first thing you do, does it, does it get through that first filter? 
You say, well, that's, that's going to block out a lot of stuff. I, I get that. But a lot of things are morally neutral because there is no verse that says go to this college. There is no verse that says get, get this major. There is no verse that says don't go to college. There is no verse that says go back to college. There is no verse that says marry this person but not that person. There is no verse that says you need to buy this color truck and not that color truck. And it, don't we stress about that? Oh, God. Both of these, both of these, I like both the red and the blue. And they're both the exact same price and everything's equal. What should I get, God? Oh, and we stress out. Don't, don't we do, does anybody do that? I've done that. And we, we, we stress and we work. What is it that God wants me to do? Well, first you need to seek godly counsel. Don't ask Google for spiritual advice. And you know you've done it. I'm not, don't, don't raise your hand, but you know what. Should I, go to, should I go to Southwest Baptist University or Hannibal LaGrange? You've done it. And don't say you haven't. You've, you've sought. Don't ask Google. Don't, don't put it out there on social media for the world to chime in on. Because you've got that guy you went to high school with. He's, he's honoring as the devil. And he may be his brother. And you're putting it out there. Guys, looking from advice. Could you tell me what you think I should do? Don't listen to that guy. He ain't no good. He's not the guy to listen to to find out God's will. In fact, if you want to, to know what it is, do the opposite of whatever he says. Instead, you need to seek the, the advice, the counsel of godly, mature Christians who care for you. Talk to people who've been down the path that you're contemplating. You're thinking about being a teacher? Talk to a teacher. Thinking about going into the service? Talk to a veteran or somebody who's currently in. You're thinking about buying a Chevy truck? Talk to a Chevy truck owner. Talk to those people who have experience doing what it is that you're wanting to do. The counsel you may get may not be any good. It may be wrong. But you need to think about what they're saying very carefully. Especially those people who are mature Christians who care for you and want the best for you. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15, The the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 22, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. In Proverbs 19, uh, verses 20 and 21, Listen to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Another thing you need to consider, especially as you consider job choices, how has God made you? If, if, you don't, if you detest manual labor, being a construction worker probably is not for you. Digging ditches, not for you. Maybe you're right-brained and, and you're real creative. Having a job where you come up with new solutions to problems, you create something, that might be right up your alley. Consider those things. So, so let's just say you have a decision you're considering. First, run it through the moral filter. Does it violate any commands of God? Does it fulfill any commands of God? Let's say it makes it through that. You've, you've sought godly counsel. Third, you've considered how God's made you. And let's say you still don't have any good direction because everything seems to be equal. Then what do you do? Well, assuming that that's the case, assuming you've given yourself to God as a living sacrifice, assuming that you're seeking first Christ and His kingdom and His righteousness, your mind's renewed, you're being transformed, assuming those things to be true, do what you want. Do what you want. I'm not saying antinomianism, cast off the law. I'm saying 
when you are doing, you're seeking to do what God wants you to do, and you've sought all the counsel, you've, everything aligns with the Word of God, all those things, do what you want. Because as you get closer to God, your desires get closer and closer to His. There's freedom in that. So if you want to buy the blue truck or the red truck, guess what? All things being equal, buy whichever one you like better. Which one rides a little bit better? Which one's going to catch your girl's eye? I mean, you, you buy the one that you want. Now, if you do these things, are you never going to make a bad decision? No, you're going to make some bad decisions. We all do. And the way you make good decisions is by learning from your bad decisions. And unfortunately, you've got to make the bad decisions before you start making the good decisions sometimes. And that's why it's so good to talk to somebody else because you learn from their bad choices instead of making them yourself. You're going you're gonna to mess up. You're going to miss the boat. You're going to get down the road sometimes and say, you know what, I was sure that God wanted me to do this, and now I think he actually wanted me to do this, and I missed it. What shall I ever do? Maybe God's done with me. Can I give you another verse? Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. All things even include you missing the boat. God knew that you were going to miss the boat. This isn't outside his plan. This isn't outside his knowledge. You are not going to mess up God's plan. You are not going to mess up God's plan in the world if you choose the wrong car. You're not, going to choose, you're not going to mess up God's plan in the world if you choose the wrong major. You're not going to mess up God's plan in the world if you live in the wrong town. God can and He will use that. It's my hope that, that if you're soon to be graduated, we have folks here that recently graduated, some of us graduated a long time ago. No matter what stage of life we're in, if you're contemplating choices, if you have decisions, maybe in your family, maybe in your job, that this will be of some use to you, that it will help you. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And our eyes light up when we read, He'll give us the desires of our heart, but it's the first part that's the important part. Delight yourself in Him. Make Him your goal, your pleasure. Seek Him first. And, and when our heart's in the right place, giving us the desires of our heart's not going to be an issue. Bless you. So again, I just ask, do you have some decision that you're facing today? Ask God for wisdom. Do you know somebody that's facing a decision? Pray for that person. If they, give, if they come to you and say, hey, I am really struggling with this. I respect you as, as a, a mature, godly believer. What are your thoughts on this? Don't say, oh, you know, do whatever you want. Actually, you know, tell them what you think because they are doing what the Bible says. One thing that, that we know is God's will, again, he, he tells us his, his moral will. One thing that God says is his will is that people everywhere would repent. Because all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of God's glory. And the wages of that sin is death, is eternal separation from God in hell. But the Bible says that if we will repent of our sin, if we'll turn from it and turn to God in faith, he will save us. If you've never done that, I, I, I hope and I pray that you will do that today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
And just in the quiet of this time, I want to encourage you to think about whatever decision it is that you're facing. Again, maybe you have some family situation you need God's wisdom on. Maybe you have some job situation. And just as, as heads bowed are, are bowed and eyes are closed, what is it that you need God's wisdom on? Maybe you're seeking his will about some, some big thing. Use those, use those tests, those filters. Does it violate or fulfill the command of God? Have you sought godly counsel? Have you given yourself to God? Are you seeking Him? Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? As our sin separates us from Him. Even as a Christian, it will hinder that fellowship. Heavenly Father, I pray for each person here as we all have different uh, situations in life that we're facing. We're all at different stages of life, whether it be with parenthood, grandparenthood, um, being a young person, still living at home. Um, maybe we're graduating. We've recently graduated and we're thinking about school and careers and, and all the stuff that goes along with that. Maybe we're trying to figure out about buying a vehicle, buying a house, whatever it is, God. I pray that you would help us, that you would make your way clear, that you would guide us. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that doesn't know you, that you would draw them to yourself and would let them become your child today. Because we know that's always your will for somebody to turn to you they all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and whosoever will may come we thank you for that God in Jesus name Amen